Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Commonly Create Wealth Podcast, U.S. Equities Edition. My name is Marcel Mares, and I'm a portfolio strategist for Century Funds. Today on the podcast, we have Jack Hall. He's a portfolio manager and U.S. specialist, and we'll cover trends in U.S. equities, market outlook, fund performance, and positioning. First, a quick recap. The S&P 500 declined four weeks in a row amid worries of rising COVID cases and U.S. stimulus package delays. In our view, second wave has begun. However, the government response should be less restrictive than in March of this year. Given we have a better understanding of the virus, we are closer to a vaccine and more effective therapeutic drugs. And thus, economic activity should continue to improve. Although House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin have resumed talks on the stalled fiscal stimulus and the odds of an agreement have increased, in our view, a deal is still unlikely before the US presidential elections. Given the significant gap in demands, Democrats demand about 2.2 trillion in commitments versus 750 million for the Republicans. Now changing gears to capital markets, the stock rally we witnessed until early September is not a late 90s tech bubble phenomena, but rather it is driven by the scarcity in growth. In a low growth environment, companies with growing revenues garner a premium and due to a shortage of these companies, and size of these companies as a percentage of the market, we've seen the market rally in the US. That said, we do anticipate volatility for the remainder of the year, but there's no reason to panic as risk to equity valuation seem fairly balanced. Over the last four weeks, since the market peak on September 2nd to present, S&P 500 was down 7.8% in US dollars and 5.4% in Canadian dollars. This is one of the reasons why we like US equities in the, is the defensive nature of the US dollar. At times of uncertainty, the US dollar appreciates relative to Canadian dollar and other global currency and acts as a hedge in reducing downside volatility. During this period, century US growth and income fund was down 4.9%, outperforming the index by 50 basis points. And even more defensive was the century US monthly income fund, which is a US balance fund with approximately 63% in equities and 37% in fixed income which was only down 2.5% with a 46% down capture, as the fund benefited from both corporate and government bonds, which were actually up 1.5% and 2.3% respectively. So with that, moving on to questions for Jack. Jack, as we've been saying for some time, the breadth of the market contributors has been narrow on the upside, and we're seeing a similar pattern on the downside. About 50% of negative returns during the recent correction for the S&P 500 came and can be attributed to the IT sector. Century US mandates were underweight IT sector. More specifically, we were overweight to digital payment providers such as Visa, MasterCard, and Viserv. And we had an underweight to Apple at 1.3% versus 6.7% for the benchmark. And this sector allocation was a significant contributor. Jack, why the underweight to the IT sector and Apple? So from our perspective, um, we actually as a fund, our fund would not be underweight um, IT. Um, if you include uh, communication services where we where some of our holdings such as Facebook and Google are, are counted as from a gig sector perspective and add that with our IT weightings, our, our fund would be uh, slightly overweight IT. Uh, we like the structural tailwinds um, within that sector. Apple in particular, uh, we are underweight and, and mind you, I would imagine uh, most fund managers are underweight Apple considering it's a 6.7% weight in the index and 
Uh, we own a 1.3% weight in, in Apple. And, and frankly, we only added to Apple uh, during the most recent market pullback. It's been on our watch list for, for a very long time. Um, we think it's a phenomenal company. Uh, some worries we did have with it um, and still frankly do is um, Apple is quite transactional in nature. And they frankly, they have to continue to innovate year after year. They have to launch a that, that new and greatest phone. And, and we do always worry in the back of our minds a little bit that um, somebody might come out with a, a better phone um, next year that might displace Apple. However, I will admit um, part of why we added to the position, uh, not only because valuation became attractive in kind of the March, April timeframe, but also uh, we've been following their strategy, their strategy closely. And we do have to commend management on turning um, a very transactional business into a much more subscription-based business with some of their service lines, as well as um, the brand uh, strength just continues to kind of grow. And we think that is starting to create a moat within itself or around Apple and turning it into some extent into uh, a consumer staples business. When I look at Apple today, it's trading at 30 times earnings uh, for a business that we think can grow high single low to maybe low teens growth. Um, we would much prefer to add to a name called Pfizer in the portfolio. And, and so Pfizer trades at 19 times earnings with the exact same growth profile. So you're getting Pfizer for about 10 turns cheaper than Apple. Um, for those who don't know, uh, Pfizer uh, merged with a company called First Data uh, about a year and a half ago. And so First Data uh, would have a, a few different businesses, uh, which um, are in kind of the payments industry uh, within with a merchant acquiring would be an example as well. So they're set to benefit from more cash moving to card transactions. Um, they also uh, have a fintech arm that helps smaller banks implement uh, technology solutions. Um, and we think in an ever digitizing uh, economy, banks are going to have to continue to invest more and more money into digital banking and things like that. So we think they have the same tailwinds. They're also in the tech category, um, but just a significant discount to where an Apple would trade today. Hence why we are underweight Apple. Um, I spoke last conference call or last podcast about our underweight to um, Apple. And if Apple continued to kind of drive the market returns, that would be a headwind for our portfolio. Uh, since that time, we have seen that turn around a bit and our fund uh, outperformed quite a bit in September as a result. One other thing I want to touch on with tech, despite my opening comments that we are overweight tech, uh, we are underweight uh, what I would call bubble tech. So there's a lot of these uh, concept tech boom type companies. Um, a recent example of one that uh, just happened, um, a recent IPO, Snowflake, uh, we did actually participate in the IPO. Um, just in my, our opinion, this is a phenomenal company. I just think the mar for some of these phenomenal companies with great growth prospects, the market is um, valuing them uh, too aggressively and basically pulling forward a lot of that upside potential from future years into this year. Uh, so Snowflake, uh, it IPO'd at about 35 billion market cap and doubled in, in the first day. Uh, so we exited our position day one. Um, but I just want to put something in context here. So Snowflake trades a 70 times revenue. Um, this gives it about $70 billion market cap. So Snowflake does, based on next year's numbers, about a billion dollars in revenue. They do not make a profit and they have a $70 billion market cap. Uh, to us, this reminds us a lot of um, the year 2000, where you had names like Microsoft and Amazon, which turned out to be 
great phenomenal businesses and i think snowflake will be one of those great phenomenal businesses but the stock did nothing for 10 years as earnings need to catch up um before the, a stock like that we think can generate outsized returns again and we so we're trying to stay away from names like snowflake like tesla like docusign things like that um, where we think the valuation is pricing in too much of the future growth already Hey, that's great, Jack. Thank you. In the recent uh, pullback, are there any buying opportunities and, and what names did you guys buy or sell during this period? So in the last month or so? Yep. So today I want to talk on about one name that we did add to the portfolio. Um, our analyst Moez did some great work on uh, QSR. Um, most folks on the call would be familiar with QSR because of their ownership of Tim Hortons, uh, which frankly has uh, struggled. Uh, for the last few years in Canada. Um, I, I think what the market's missing is that Tim Hortons is only 50% of the business. Um, the other half of QSR is performing extremely well. Uh, Burger King is growing sales, low single digits. Popeyes is actually growing same store sales in the 20% range, which is just phenomenal considering uh, the backdrop of COVID. Uh, Tim Hortons, we think there's a couple... Um, reasons to be more optimistic than the market is and and then people have been historically is uh, they have a new management team uh, we also believe as part of a, a reopening trade that people as mobility slowly starts to increase and i think um, everyone's seen it when you're out on the roads these days a little bit more traffic uh, a few more people going into the office I, I know there is kind of a second wave of covid starting to break out here but it does still seem like people are, are more willing to venture out of their house which means you're more likely to grab your coffee and so we do think trends are starting to improve a little bit and when you combine that with some operational improvement uh that this new management team is going to be able to put in place we think uh qsr should be able to re-rate from kind of that 20 times multiple range right now which is a pretty significant discount to peers um and we think they can continue to grow so it does a reminder um where we are from a positioning point of view in our funds right now is uh, we're looking for names uh, that, that have been impacted by COVID, but we think um, are, can grow and recover quite quickly and potentially even be bigger on the other side of COVID. Um, as a result, the kind of fast food industry uh, we're, we're quite interested in. I've talked about McDonald's before and, and now today QSR because I think in a world where um, sit-down dining is, is um, maybe not for everybody, um, companies that can offer drive through they can offer value in a time when unemployment is quite high, are, are positioned well to do, do well on the other side. COVID, uh, really quickly, kind of some names we're using to fund um, a purchase like this would be a bit of a barbell approach where we've been selling some of our, our winners. Um, for example, uh, like an Amazon, maybe taking a little bit of profits there, Microsoft, Visa, a few of those type of names, just, just a, few, a, a little bit, uh, kind of a rebalancing trade, I would say. And then we are um, exiting a name called Sally May a little bit just on um, concerns over uh, the upcoming election um, risks there and also just credit losses, uh, which I might be able to touch on later in this podcast. Okay, great. That's a, re that's a great recap of the portfolio activity. Now, moving forward, uh, one last question. Maybe it's a bit of a two-part. What are your thoughts on U.S. elections and more generally, what is your outlook over the next three to six months? And, and what should investors expect given the current fund positioning? 
Yeah, so to me, the elections, I mean, we follow it like everyone else. Um, definitely a, a very hard one to call this year. It does look like uh, the Democrats have a lead in, in the polls currently. But if you go on the Vegas odds, it, it looks a little bit closer. Um, typically, I always actually prefer the Vegas odds over the, the polls, but we'll see how that plays out. Um, I think what we were originally most concerned about were some of the far left um, Democratic candidates who didn't who did not win the nomination. So we're pretty uh, comfortable with Biden, um, even if he does win. Uh, questions we get a lot uh, when speaking with investors is concerns about taxes being increased if the Democrats win. Frankly, I think this is is likely. Um, I, I would caveat that with saying that. Uh, I don't think the Democrats are going to raise taxes until you start to see an improvement in the economy. Uh, so kind of, yes, is higher taxes a headwind to stocks? Uh, I would say yes. But if he's not going to do it till, say, COVID's kind of quieted down and, and we're, the, the economy's on better footing, is that an offset potentially? So I'm not as worried about that. Um, there are some names we own, uh, Cigna uh, and Unite Health, which are in the managed care space. Uh, so we're, we're very interested to follow um, as this kind of election season gets gets going here, some of the uh, healthcare policies that both parties push forward. Um, our current view is it'll be more noise versus anything that will actually impact the investment thesis. And and as such, these stocks at, uh, offer compelling valuations, uh, single digit EPS multiples uh, for companies growing mid-teens. So uh, we like those names, um, but overall, uh, not to speak uh, too long here, but I, I, I think that there's more um, kind of headline risk than anything else. I, I, I think no matter what candidate wins, um, I, I think that they'll be pretty positively viewed by the market. Um, if anything else, the market doesn't like uncertainty. If you look back historically, actually, um, the market's done better under Democratic uh, leadership than they have under Republicans um, over the last hundred years. If which I don't think is well understood by the market. Okay, Jack, that was uh, that was great and very insightful. We appreciate your bottom-up perspective. And for the listeners, if you want to know more about Century U.S. funds and other Century funds, check out ci.com. And join us next week for another update on Century funds. Thank you and have a great day. This podcast is provided as a general source of information and should not be considered personal, legal, accounting, tax, or investment advice, or construed as an endorsement or recommendation of any entity or security discussed. Investors should seek the advice of professionals prior to implementing any changes to their investment. Certain statements in this podcast are forward-looking that are predictive in nature, depend upon, or refer to future events or conditions. Forward-looking statements are subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those set forth. Although the forward-looking statements contained herein are based upon what CI Global Asset Management and the Portfolio Manager believe to be reasonable assumptions, neither CI Global Asset Management nor the Portfolio Manager can assure that actual results will be consistent with these forward-looking statements. Certain statements contained in this podcast are based in whole or in part on information provided by third parties, and CI Global Asset Management has taken reasonable steps to ensure their accuracy. Market conditions may change, which may impact the information contained in this podcast. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses all may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the prospectus before investing.
The indicated rates of return are the historical annual compounded total returns net of fees and expenses payable by the fund, including changes in security value and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions, and do not take into account sales, redemption, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns. Mutual funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated.